0: Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be discussing black attrition strategies in uh, Wilds of Eldraine Limited. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. I'm continuing my theme for this set of focusing more on strategic archetypes rather than uh, traditional color pairs or kind of the prescribed archetypes by the signpost uncommons in the set. As a result, I don't really have like 17 lands uh, performance statistics to point to on how successful this like strategic bucket or archetype, if you will, is uh, overall, because that's not really how 17 lands uh, breaks things down. So your guess is as good as mine on how good this uh, strategy is. I'm less focused on that and more looking at possibility space that exists and how to maximize performance within that space. If you're looking to uh, win a lot, I would recommend uh, looking on 17 lands for what things have been successful in aggregate. And also I would recommend if uh, you want something more specific and maybe underdrafted, uh, my episode last week on uh, Bargain Blue, uh, Blue Decks that you heavily use the Bargain mechanic, is still my preferred strategy, especially in best of three drafts. But the show must go on, so uh, I'm going to be looking at other things that you can do, even if I'm still mostly in the space where uh, the controlling blue strategies are most of what I want to do when I can so I regularly mention this thing that I refer to as the like tempo attrition spectrum that uh, not all listeners are familiar with, and I think very few other like content creators or Magic players really talk about much. Uh, I don't know if that's that other people don't agree with me or don't find the framing useful, but it still means something to me, and given that I'm going to be framing the discussion around it somewhat, I figured I should explain it a little bit more today. So... I basically see tempo and attrition as opposite ends of a spectrum and uh, the most concise framing for like what this is about to me is the tempo end of the spectrum tries to make the game about bottlenecks on mana. You try to use your mana more efficiently and get out ahead of your opponent and end the game before they can like get enough mana to use all their cards while the attrition end attempts to leave your opponent with mana they can't spend because they don't have anything productive to do with their mana. And then you can continue to take productive actions, either because you still have spells to cast, or you have creatures to attack with, and they don't have creatures to block or attack with, or whatever. Basically, the, the fundamentally, usually, the uh, bottleneck on... Tempo is mana and the bottleneck in attrition games is uh, cards. So uh, when I talk about black attrition strategies broadly, I'm talking about games or decks that are attempting to uh, exhaust your opponent's resources, which is to say to run them out of cards. So you want to uh, trade off, you're basically trying to play a small game to use another framing that uh, I use more than other people. Um, though that one weirdly has caught on a little bit more, I think. Anyway, you're trying to play a small game where you exchange resources. A lot of cards end up in the graveyard and not so many on the battlefield and not so many in players' hands. Wear everything down until you have a little bit more left than they do. The idea being that the smaller the game, the fewer objects people have, the more impactful any given object is. So, for example, a rat token doesn't really matter if both of you have like three or four creatures uh while if a rat token is the only creature in play then that rat token at least represents one damage a turn which is uh a clock not a very good one but it means that you know you're making forward progress when they're not theoretically and ideally you can be left with something more impactful than a rat like maybe a rat with a wicked roll on it or something <laughs> so That's kind of, um, you know, keep that in mind as the framing and strategic focus of these decks. You're trying to force a small game via an attrition strategy, and then you seek to have something left over after your opponent has nothing. To do that, you need to have a variety of answers that will line up well against your opponent's threats. You don't want, you know, just a bunch of shatter the oaths because you need to be able to make the game. Not about tempo, and if you just have a bunch of five-mana removal spells, your opponent will be able to dictate the terms of the game and tempo you out. So you want some uh, cheap, efficient removal like Rat Out and Candy Grapple that can slow the game down enough to make it about attrition rather than allowing your dic- your opponent to dictate terms and make it about tempo but you also you know once you've slowed the game down if all you have is cards like uh rat out and um feed the cauldron uh Out's the one minute instant that gives minus one minus one and makes a rat token feed the cauldron is the three minute instant that destroys a creature with mana value three or less and if it's your turn makes a food if all your removal is that stuff that's like efficient against little creatures then you just drag the game out until your opponent plays their big creatures, your removal doesn't answer their big creatures, and you lose. So you need to have a nice mix of uh, cards that can answer all of the sorts of threats that your opponent presents on the appropriate turns. That might be a tall order, but uh, you can supplement with cards like Hopeless Nightmare and Areet's Whisper. Those are the discard spells. Hopeless Nightmare is the one-man enchantment that makes your opponent lose two life and discard a card. Erit's Whispers, the four mana uh, Mind Rot, your opponent discards two cards that also makes a Wicked roll on a creature you control. So if your opponent discards some creatures that you might have otherwise needed removal spells for, that's like less removal that you ultimately need. So black... You know, this is a lot of different cards that I've mentioned that are all commons, right? So black in this set's very good at attacking your opponent's resources or exchanging cards for cards. Nightmare, Whisper, Grapple, Feed the Cauldron, Rat Out, Shatter the Oath. That's like a bunch of removal. And every single one of those cards, except Candy Grapple, leaves something behind. You're always trading one for one, but you're up like an object. It's usually not a very meaningful object, but it's something, and that's why Black plays such a good small game, is the smaller you can keep the game, the more impactful each of those like random little objects that you're left with are. And Black's threats work the same way. Black's threats tend to come with an extra object. Minstrosity, the two mana three one, when it it dies you get a food. Sweet Tooth Witch, the three mana three two, that when it enters gives you a food voracious vermin the two mana two one that when it enters gives you a rat conceited witch the adventure that gives you a roll and then it's a two three menace and fell horseman the adventure that uh like is a raised dead returns a creature from your graveyard to your hand and then it's a three three all of those like if you can trade the creature for something leave you up an object somewhere so Black continues both in creatures and in spells at common to be really, really good at, like, generating incidental objects while trading stuff off. And so, again, the more you can force a small game, the more relative impact these extra objects have. Also, because Black is, like, making all of these random objects on all these exchanges, Black is very good at using cards with bargain. So rowan's grim search that's the uh th- three mana instant with bargain uh lose two life draw two but if you bargain it you get to look at the top four cards of your deck and put two to four of them in your graveyard before you lose two draw two it's not a very good card but if you're really dedicated to answering all of your opponent's threats then the like life pressure that it puts you under doesn't matter as much if you're making food you can gain life to offset the uh, life loss and looking at a bunch of cards and then choosing two of them is a pretty good way to get meaningfully ahead in a small game. And so taking advantage of cards like that, but also higher rarity cards like Vampiric Rites, that's the uh, bonus sheet enchantment, one black enchantment, one in a black sac a creature gain a life draw card. Uh, dark tutelage the other bonus another bonus sheet enchantment that is basically like a dark confidant but on a three mana enchantment instead of a two mana two one be being your upkeep you reveal the top card of your library lose life equal to its casting cost put it in your hand and at mythic on the bonus sheet you have actual necropotence black black black, black enchantment skip your draw step and then you can pay life to set aside a card, set aside the top card of your deck exile from exile from the game face down top card of your library and then at the end, of, uh, at your next end, step, opportunity to your hand. So this is to say that Black has like a bunch of these cards that exchange resources uh, for cards. In the case of Vampiric Rites, you're actually going up on life and losing creatures. With the other ones, you're losing life and drawing cards. All of these cards are atrocious in a tempo game. You're spending mana to lose life while not impacting the board... Maybe you're losing creatures instead of life. You're, like, adding cards to your hand. But, like, in a tempo game, you won't have time to use them, especially when you're spending a bunch of mana and life to get them. You're just falling so far behind. But if you can keep the board clear, keep keep the game small, keep your life total high, answer everything your opponent's doing, then these are cards that can pull you way, way ahead. So the reason to play a black attrition strategy is really to take advantage of these cards that are pretty hard to play. Very few decks actually use these cards well, and so they tend to go pretty late. Dark Tutelage, in my experience, seems to routinely table, and so there's a lot of potential here if you can turn these, like, pretty bad cards into good cards. This archetype, like, when you're drafting this archetype, you're going to prioritize like removal and these like creatures that uh offer you something inherently pretty highly but those cards are really flexible if you just have a bunch of those cards you are not in any way locked into this like black attrition uh framework you could just have you know use removal in the in the tempo friendly way where you have a creature your opponent has a creature they're trying to block you use your removal spell to kill their creature now you kill their creature and you get some damage in and so, in this way, you're kind of trading, turning all of your removal spells into searing blazes. Searing Blaze being uh, three damage to a creature, three damage to its controller. So, like, if you have a creature that's and you're killing a blocker, and that lets you hit the creature every time you kill a creature, you get some damage. You're basically adding damage as an effect to all your removal spells. So then you're like just ending the game on your opponent's life total. And in that world, you're probably playing more of a tempo game plan. Removal is very flexible. It can play in a tempo or in an attrition game plan. So you're not really like locked into this like attrition strategy until you start trying to use and maximize these really grindy black cards that let you trade other resources for more cards to pay you off for the attrition game plan. And that's where you start to really like narrow in and focus on what you're doing. But uh, as far as like, flexibility and utility and strategy of drafting it you don't want to like get too locked in before you need to so it's safest to just like draft the black removal as open-ended good black cards and then figure out if like this is the strategic space that you want to occupy later as far as colors i've mentioned this as black i don't view this as exclusively or necessarily mono black I think that the black cards are self-contained, like they include all of the pieces that you need to be able to execute this strategy. But I don't think that black is so underdrafted that you'll regularly be able to do this in mono black. You know, if you happen to be at a table where no one's black, great, I could see you having a successful mono black deck. But this format makes mana so easy um, that I I wouldn't expect it to go that way. I would expect that you're going to uh, have some other colors in your deck. Looking a little bit more deeply into how other colors uh, fit into Black Control uh, slash Black Attrition slash the archetype and strategy that I'm talking about. White offers cards like Stockpile Celebrant, the common 3-mana three 3-2 three that returns a card from play to your hand to scry to, and Neva, Stalked by Nightmares, the white-black uh, uncommon gravedigger type card. That offer good like card advantage, grindy type engines, good synergies with some of the other cards that you want, especially uh, Hopeless Nightmare. Kind of in both cases, and then it also has you know some removal that plays well with the bargain theme, like uh, Kellan's Light Blades, the Deal Three Bargain, kill an attacking and or blocking creature, and the Princess Takes Flight, the Saga that exiles something and then gives it back, but not if you sacrifice uh, the Saga. So. Very, very easy to play white-black as uh, an attrition deck. Blue offers like a little bit of additional interaction, but mostly uh, better card advantage sources. Note that uh, blue-black as a color pair, I think, almost always wants to be drafted as an attrition deck. And um, you generally want to prioritize removal over uh, threats um, in that space. The fairy synergies should be prioritized only incidentally. They're not really what's going on in blue-black. What's going on in blue-black to me is really more just like playing you a know, generic control game, which is to say very much in this uh, attrition space. For a control deck, red mostly offers additional cheap removal, and that's really important if black is contested, because uh when black is contested you're going to have to be fighting with other people for removal first and foremost like a lot of the black cards that are going to be highest picks for your neighbors are these removal spells that are essential to your strategy but if like red's kind of open you can get red removal and then pair it with the black card advantage and then your deck plays kind of weirdly like a blue red deck but uh maybe with access to um more persistent card advantage than blue is offering from the black cards or maybe just supplemental removal from black uh while not needing to stretch your mana into three colors and you know red also has a bit that contributes directly here like grabby giant for example is another uh kind of like grindy card advantage engine potentially uh corvold and the noble thief is another card that plays really well in black red attrition decks I generally don't think Corbold and the Noble Thief is a very strong card if you might be playing a tempo game at all. But if you just have a bunch of cheap removal, um, I think that it's very good like top end in an attrition deck. That's the saga that makes treasures and then exiles the top cards to your opponent's deck and lets you cash them. And then Green mostly offers additional object advantage, particularly in the form of food. Uh, but it can and then the extra food can let you go further into paying life for cards. I think that like playing green in this format is often going to force you into more of like a mid-range creature type position because the removal that green offers depends on having creatures and green mostly is just like a bunch of good creatures but if you think of your deck primarily as a food deck it can certainly get into the attrition kind of space some individual card notes candy trail the uh food clue 1 mana artifact, ETB, scry 2, sacrifice for 2 mana to gain 3 life and draw a card. Plays really well in this archetype because you highly value both life and card selection. Warehouse Tabby is a like low-impact, highly vulnerable creature that doesn't have great stats overall. But I think that if you have like a good number of cards that make rolls, it can be pretty useful, especially pairing it with Vampiric Rights. I think that uh, Warehouse Tabby plus vampiric rights is like a reasonable long-term engine to keep an eye out for. Uh, You don't want to like start you know drafting a ton of Warehouse Tabbies because you have vampiric rights, but uh, you know keep it in mind if you have a number of cards that make rolls, or if you have a number of uh, hopeless nightmares or a good combination that uh, Warehouse Tabby can actually like meaning play a meaningful role in uh grindy small game type decks uh particularly again with vampire crates and yeah I, I think that's basically what's going on here um so again just to summarize your basic strategy here is keep your curve low but make sure that you don't exclusively have removal that can hit small things focus on cards that put you up by some kind of object so that you can uh utilize bargain and or just like win on the back of these extra objects try to be supporting the cards that you trade resources for cards in a slow capacity um, as your way to like break parity slash uh, offset the fact that all of your cards are kind of cheap and low impact and definitely pair with other colors uh, that let you get more of the kinds of cards you're looking for and that's kind of my take on this space. So I'm going to turn it over to chat for any additional questions or commentary you'd like to see on this. While I'm letting people think about that, I want to, uh, as always, thank the new patrons this week of uh, patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So thank you so much to Michael, Troy, Olivia, Phillip, uh, Yana, And Rylan, really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. Really nice to see uh, an outpouring of support this week. Uh, I'm going to assume that I can credit that to uh, the previous episode resonating with some people or people liking it. At least that's my assumption just because I think it was a pretty good episode personally. So it's good to see you know, when I have something that I'm proud of to see that resonate with other people and get some support. That said... Anybody have any questions for me about these black decks? What would be the ideal set of removal for such an archetype? I mean, as many Candy Grapples as you can get. Uh, candy Grapple, I think, is basically just better than the other removal here, especially because you're really good at enabling the bargain. Even though the other things are the cards that leave you up objects, Candy Grapple just trades efficiently with such a wide range of uh Creatures and even the creatures that like don't die to minus five, minus five, you'll often be able to like finish off in combat. So it can kind of let you kill whatever. So, like, as many of those as possible, and then just like you know, a random smattering of feed the cauldron, rat out, shout out at the oath, uh, the four mana exile, scry two if you have an enchantment, uncommon. It's weird to try to dream up like the ideal removal package. Because it just starts to feel unrealistic when you're like, well, I just want a bunch of premium commons, really. Because, like, that's true, but, like, how many do you expect to get? But, like, sometimes you do get more than you expect. So, I, I think it's more, <laughs> it's closer to being how much removal do you want? But even that, I struggle with. Um, I, I generally struggle with, like, I don't know, drafting by numbers, like formulaic type guidelines. Uh, I, I guess I would say, you probably want 10 or so cards that like directly trade a resource of yours with a resource of your opponent's. So like removal plus discard, but like more than 10 doesn't seem like it would necessarily be bad. I've heard a lot of people talk about the tempo to value spectrum. Is this fundamentally similar to tempo attrition spectrum I talked about, or do I feel there's a meaningful distinction between them? First of all, I think value is like a nebulous enough term, like you can get value on any axis. So I don't really like trying to set it up as a spectrum. And I don't really like trying to guess how other people are using terms. But to ignore that and try to engage in the best way that I can with the question, I think value to me in that context would imply some kind of object advantage and some kind of object advantage is generally going to help you play an attrition game. So I would guess that they're pretty similar. As to whether there's a meaningful distinction between them, I think you would need to like ask people who choose to use what I consider the less clear word in value there, why that's the language that they prefer and what they think it's saying that's different. Uh, are there any cards in the bonus sheet I'd look for that I haven't already mentioned? I mean, Stab Wound is a playable extra removal spell, I guess. Uh, obviously, I was only looking at like the black cards, like Goblin Bombardment plays well in this space, Hatching Plans plays well in this space. Those are the ones that come to mind offhand, but I wouldn't rule out that there are others that are appropriate. Do I like Candy Grapple more than the 4-mana Uncommon removal? Yes, I do uh what's the ideal setup for Ashioks reaper ashox reaper is the uh four mana three three that draws a card when an enchantment you control goes to the graveyard i suppose this archetype structurally is a relatively ideal deck for ashox reaper but i also just don't think Ashiok's reaper is very good shatter the oath good enough is unconditional removal plus an object or is it still too slow I've been surprisingly happy with Shatter of the Oath when I've played it, though that's basically only happened in Sealed. I think that Shatter of the Oath is like acceptable in small numbers if the rest of your curve is low. You do, you know, need to be able to answer stuff. And there are decks where like, if you have something like the uh, green 2-3 that draws a card when you uh, make an aura or uh, the rare green 2-drop that draws a card the first time an enchantment enters in a turn, or Season of Growth, or a lot of, like, the white and black payoffs for, like, having extra rolls. It's, like, something where, the like, making the roll really matters, I think, can turn Shadow of the Oath into, like, an actively good card. But I think just used as is, it's, like, a little bit below rate, but not horrible if you want another removal spell if your curve's good. For Erit's Whisper, uh, I've been avoiding running it in most of my black decks, even if it looks... A uh, small game attrition, since it feels bad to have against some of the red X decks. When would you feel is the right time to include it in the style of decks? Uh, lots of red out and candy grapple, but now removal that hits the big threats. Yeah, I think that that would certainly be a good time to look for it. Is if you are like very good at covering your like early game, uh, then you're probably not going to be getting run over, so you can afford to take a turn off to make them discard, and then you might catch some of the stuff that you have a harder time answering. I would say that that's a pretty good stab at uh, when it's going to be like better than other times outside of again, times when you're like really getting a lot of value out of the roll. Do you need a good amount of creatures? How would you deal with opponents that can produce multiple objects? Yeah, I mean, I think that anywhere in the like 11 to 15 creature range is probably going to be about where you're going to end up in this sort of space. 15, I would start to get a little bit worried about like where I'm fitting enough Uh, removal how do you deal with opponents uh that can produce multiple objects that's where these like grindy black cards that uh i think of as kind of defining the archetype come in you know like you just need to like generate real card advantage and then you know cope that that plus the incidental card advantage from your cards matches the incidental card advantage from their cards and then you come out ahead because of your like actual card draw sources have i had a deck that could actually use dark tutelage and what would it look like but i always felt it was uh too risky with all the fast decks around yeah you need to be really good at containing the fast decks right you need to have like rat outs and grapples and sweet tooth witches and minstrosities that block well and then have a low curve and then have enough bargain that you can like ride the dark tutelage for a while to get ahead on some cards, have some food to offset the life loss, but when the dark tutelage is going uh, going a little too far, getting dangerous, then you can sacrifice the dark tutelage to bargain. Basically, blue has been open enough for me that I haven't really needed to go deep on this space to find my card advantage because I just use blue with removal to find my card advantage instead. I think that like this whole space is kind of like planning ahead for like what happens if you find yourself in a draft or a timeline where uh, blue is heavily drafted and card advantages are hard to come by, but you didn't necessarily know that that was going to happen. So you were prioritizing removal and you like got a bunch of good removal, but you're afraid of like getting kind of ground out by some of the um, like threats that make multiple cards and stuff. So you need some actual card advantage and blue which is the easier source of good card advantage because cards like End of Faye court and hatching plans are both really good and go kind of late if you don't have access to that then you can find yourself in a space where it's like worth finding a way to use the like black card advantage package and then this would be kind of the blueprint for doing that are there any cards or signals in draft that would make me lean toward this archetype uh i mean so the the card that i opened that led to really like exploring and thinking about this space in the first place was necropotence. I decided to talk about uh this archetype after drafting a deck where i first picked necropotence. I think necropotence does have like a real ceiling in this format. It's not like entirely a meme or something. So i guess as i mentioned if you have a bunch of removal and you don't have good threats and blue card advantage is not available to you either because of your mana or because uh you're just like not seeing hatching plans and the other blue card draw stuff um but you need to like make you know make something functional out of like a bunch of removal that you took early then i would try to like backdoor into this by getting uh the other you know, card advantage enchantments like Vampiric Rides, Dark Tutelage, or just like shaming together some Grim Searches and uh, maybe like Grabby Giants or something. So it's more of like a, this is where I would fall part of the way through the draft. Like I'd pivot into this from having a bunch of good removal more than like I would open a card that would like send me down like, okay, this is what I'm doing uh, outside of Necropotence. I, I wouldn't mind like drafting around Necropotence again. How would Prism play with this archetype and how would it play with playing more than two colors? Prophetic Prism is a card that you can use to bargain that's not very valuable uh, for this deck that's really good at making stuff that can be bargained with. But if you're more than two colors, it's a great way to splash multiple colors. Uh, I, I I think that um, especially you know if you are playing a card like necrobotence or another card that wants a lot of black mana, But then you're splashing like removal or life gain from multiple other colors. Prophetic Prism can be very valuable for doing that. Shimmer and Grotto also plays really well. This kind of deck really likes Scry. And when you're trying to mostly play like cheap removal in other colors, Grotto is is much better at splashing cheap cards than expensive cards. So uh, I I could certainly see a deck that tries to have, you know, like five-ish Prisms and Grottos um, and then kind of splashes uh, useful removal cards from a bunch of other colors into a primarily black deck. Any thoughts on why Grave Pact has one of the lowest win rates of the entire set? Looks so powerful and limited. The mana cost is tough, but is it only that? I would certainly guess that's a big part of it. Um, I have not been in a spot to play Grave Pact myself. Uh, the, The mana cost is a real problem. I do think that if you can draft like a really heavily black deck, with uh like a number of rat makers especially if you have a way to sacrifice them like the idea of like grave pack plus vampiric rites plus a bunch of rats just sounds totally delightful but not particularly easy to get together i also think that like part of the issue is i feel like black is drafted pretty heavily and that makes it hard to have a deck that's black enough to uh run grave pact successfully because of how Necropotence works both cost life and prevent you from drawing in your next draw step, would you prefer to play it early or to wait until you have full control of the board? You almost, you never, you basically never want to cast Necropotence on turn three unlimited. limited. Your goal is to basically empty your hand. Like, I usually cast Necropotence when I had about two cards left and when I had five or six mana. And the ideal play pattern with Necro is play it, drop seven cards, and then... On your opponent's turn or on your next turn, pay some more life to set aside like three-ish more cards, then sacrifice it to bargain and lose one to zero total draw steps from it and draw like eight-ish cards off of it while not needing to discard very many of them because you split it across two turns. Uh, I think that that's basically always the play pattern you want with it. it. It's very good to bargain away, very bad to keep in play. There are spots where you could have enough food that it's not a disaster to not bargain it away. But I don't know why you would ever need to keep it around. Because like, it draws so many cards up front that that should be able to win from there and you shouldn't be looking to sacrifice additional draw steps to like need to keep making a bunch of extra cards because it's not like you have like dark rituals that you're drawing into. Like everything that you're drawing is like a real card that costs real mana. Yeah, you're you're definitely looking to bargain away Necropotence. Even, and this is like, even in the decks that have life gain to offset the life loss, like you're still planning to go like, all right, I'm going to use life gain to cushion my life to pay Necro, to play a bunch of life, then I might get in the danger zone, but I have more life gain that I can get just to like cushion my life total for other purposes, not even to feed back into Necro again, necessarily. How many black sources would you need to be able to play Necro? So you always need to take this kind of thing with a grain of salt, right? Because the, the best fixing is seeing extra cards. So like, you know, eight black sources with a total ability to like draw and or scry 13 cards across every card in your deck is very different than eight black sources with a total ability to draw and or scry two cards across your entire deck that said i don't know shoot for round 10 all right i'm going to assume we've basically covered it so thanks everyone for listening thanks especially as always to uh those in chat who offered up some questions for follow-up discussion here good luck to uh anyone competing in any big events this weekend or small events or what have you and have a good week and i will uh be back next week bye for now. light speed.